Skibbity Bop. Welcome to the Kent Brown Podcast. Today I've got a conversation with the amazingly talented Adriana Cox Spadaro. Uh, before we get into the conversation, just wanted to remind you that this Sunday I have a workshop at One Yoga for the People, which is the yoga satsang we've been doing, the yoga and conversation over coffee. Delicious coffee that's sponsored by Milano Coffee Roasters. And uh, it'll be at 1.45 on Sunday, which I believe is February the 25th. So come check that out. It's a suggested donation, uh, but more than anything else, I'd just love to have you there, have your voice on the podcast, or just come and listen. Uh, the conversation for today, like I stated, is with Adriana Cox Badaro. And to have Adriana come in, it was an amazing uh, opportunity for me to dig a little bit deeper into what some of the last podcasts that I've released have uh, talked about, which is about representing yoga through different artistic manners. So we've had fashion designers come in, artists, painters, people that do line drawing like Tori um, from the last conversation, the last podcast that we did. And uh, it's an interesting direction sort of to look at the greater practice of yoga generally. So when we start this conversation, we're talking a little bit, uh, for those of you who were listening to my podcast regularly, you'll know that from November to December, I wasn't really releasing a lot of podcasts. Uh, the last podcast I recorded before I neglected to put some up was with Adriana. So this is actually our second conversation because the first conversation we had, while entertaining and interesting, uh, it just felt a little bit dated. So at Adriana's request, we re-recorded it before I put this conversation out to you. Um, it's a completely different conversation. Maybe one day I'll release sections of that first conversation, the preliminary conversation we had. But with that being said, just a little bit of context for when the podcast begins. Um, check out Adriana on her social networking platforms. Check her out um, if you ever get an opportunity to have a portrait done by her or just uh, to pick up some of her art because it's amazing. I was very fortunate to receive from her a beautiful water, uh, beautiful watercolor painting, um, which I am currently in the process of framing and hanging on my wall. I've got a hammer beside me and uh, I'll get back to that as soon as I upload this. Without further ado, skibbity bop. Enjoy the Kent Brunn podcast with Adriana. Yeah, well, that's good that that you're that you're thinking of those things. It's important to to be on that journey just for yourself, mm-hmm. right? To wonder and is this my voice or what is my voice or what have I learned from this experience and um, all the things and approaching things. A certain way due to the client to the political climate so that's you being mindful so that's I good. thought it was interesting because when I reached out to you last week when I said I was going to put the conversation up mm-hmm. you said you weren't sure how much it represents you anymore well I think it was um, I mean that we spoke a few months ago mm-hmm. November November yeah now in February so in November, I was just at the tipping point of understanding what I was doing, and now I've sort of formulated a bit more of an understanding of what I'm doing. Um, so that's why it, I I didn't know what I said in that podcast, but uh, all I knew was that I I know more now, hmm. and it just um, I can probably articulate things a little bit better now. So let's dig in. From the few months that I've been exploring. Yeah, sure. Where do you want to start? <laughs> well, what is the tipping point of your understanding? What's changed in the, since we talked? I mean, it's gradual, right? So right now I'm, I'm exploring. I'm, I'm literally taking time to figure out what it is. I have this fascination with helping others, and, and but also... Um, figuring out what my calling is and how to do it and I also have this obsession with being really different and unique which has always been why I've liked marketing and design and graphic design because it's all about 
coming up with something new and fresh and different, right? Mm-hmm. And and a bit more for, um, future facing, like kind of predicting the trends or whatever. Um, but now that I'm working on artwork, um, what I'm realizing is that the artwork that I'm doing is really, and why it ties into yoga so much is that it's it's an exploration of moments in time and hyper-focusing, slowing down and paying attention to how wonderful it is to share like literally this moment with you. And art, the art that I've been doing really represents that. It's self ex- often self-expression when I do it myself. It's an observation of how I feel that day and I put it down on paper. And when I collaborate with others, it's a really slow process. It's not slow in terms of time, but taking the time to acknowledge the time, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, mm-hmm. which is similar, I think, to what yoga offers. So it's making, it's putting the pieces together in terms of, of why I'm doing it. It's really just so that I can start to acknowledge the magic in slowing down moments. And the artwork is a representation of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I talk and I'm, I don't know if I come full circle. <laughs> so why is the medium important? Why is the, the doing? Yeah, well, watercolors and painting, sketching of the action of yoga. What, what is the value in, um, in it's that like action? A, it's, it's a time for me. It's a time stamp. Mm. Um, so for me, it's a time stamp. And when I make my paintings personal, um, they're a time stamp of how I truly feel in that moment. And, and it's a representation of my creative force, wherever that may come from, right? My skill or the way that I draw is something that's a gift that, that's been given to me. So it's a moment in time that I've been able to express it. I have days that I start, I try to draw and everything looks like it's not coming out the way that I want. And it's probably because I'm not in the flow or I don't feel good or something went on that week or something's a little bit off. But I have moments where I can paint for hours and everything I create, I fall in love with. So those are like mini little timestamps. When I do, when I offer it for other people, what I hope is that it represents something valuable in the moment we spent together. So when I paint, um, when I paint uh, a yoga class and I'm, and I'm mindfully choosing a position for each student in the class, I really take time to look at them and, and intuitively tap into my skills and paint them as fast as I can because they're moving, mm-hmm. they're doing yoga, and then presenting that to that person. And whatever, they don't, they're not paying attention to me because they're doing their yoga. But hopefully the painting represents whatever came up in the practice. You know, today I move through self-awareness or connection or slowing down and hopefully the, the painting taps into that. And then it's like a mini lesson or a reminder of the growth on that day for that person. Just like my paintings are a representation of myself and my growth. So what's the value in cataloging that moment? Uh, the process, I mean, for me personally, when I'm doing them, the process um, itself is slowing down time and slowing down the mind. It's a form of meditation. So for me, it's a, it's a, it's, it's kind of like a yoga experience. Mm-hmm. You know, an hour painting is an hour of sort of mindfully or intuitively doing something that represents that moment in time for other people I don't know it just I guess it's the value that brings to them I can't say what it means to them so you would never paint from a photograph I paint from photograph when I feel inspired to Um, or if a photograph really means something to someone and they would love a portrait or something done or if it means something to me Mm -hmm. Um, but the truest, like the things that really resonate with me are the paintings that 
let's say Instagram has an algorithm or not algorithm um, you can kind of see which photos are the most popular mm-hmm. and the ones that are the most popular are the ones that are very expressive and, and really were something that I was doing in the moment like I was really in the moment and it was so of your photos my photos yeah yeah, so the, yeah so the artwork on my Instagram the ones that have resonated with people are the ones that are truly expressive mm. you know what I does that make sense I went through this period where I was um, unwell for about three months and and very stressed and and just a little bit out of balance and sleeping way too much and um, the artwork that's kind of where my artwork kicked off and uh, all of that artwork sold that I did in that time and a lot of it was figure work so body women in different positions but they were the positions I was drawing them in was a lot of heart openers and like neck reaching back and I feel like that was something or me trying to express something in my body or trying to get it out and drawing that figure over and over again felt really good while being you know curled up in a ball sick I was able to open up and get freer by drawing expressive movements and those paintings really resonated with people they I've sold many almost all of them maybe I have a couple left Mm. but out of like 15 I think like 13 sold so there's something about there's a little magic in them they're not you know Mm. they're quite simple the drawings but when you get feedback or like talk to people that are interested in your work or patrons that are actually purchasing that series of paintings that you're referring to right now, what's the feedback from them that you get? Like what is their interest in those paintings? I think because... Because um... I'm just interested to know like what is the through line from this being cathartic or healing for you, um, unable to physically go in... Because I've been... Um, depressed or sad or gone through hardships and then felt like uh, going to a cobra pose like my chest was a thousand pounds Mm -hmm. like it just felt very challenging to go into certain more vulnerable heart opening type positions Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm curious to know from you I sort of understand um, how that could potentially be therapeutic in the way potentially that like they say like if you're not feeling happy try smiling right and then you sort of get that hit yeah of the right hormones uh into your body and then eventually you can kind of convince yourself by just putting your body in a specific way it kind of stands to reason that if you take that one step removed from that and start to draw other bodies or your own body in those positions that potentially that might just inspire the body sort of kickstart those uh, hormones or good vibes, however mm-hmm. you want to put it. Mm-hmm. But what I'm interested in is I'm curious if the people that are enjoying those paintings or purchasing those paintings, if somehow they're getting the same sort of medicine from the painting that you are finding Mm -hmm. like not just the process of creating but also the process of viewing or being moved by a painting of somebody in that position in itself has its own kind of power Mm -hmm. i mean i would hope but the conversations that often come up are wow that's so powerful or or oh like that's really how i want to feel when i'm in that pose or Mm -hmm. So I do think that the images spark something in people. It just really depends on where they are and, and their opinions, obviously. Right. But I think we're all we're all super connected, right? And we all want to express ourselves. And when we get inspired, when we're inspired to do something, and for example, artwork, when it's genuine, I think people see that and connect with it because we are all really moving and figuring life out kind of together mm-hmm. yeah no there's philosophies within um, different belief structures that state or indicate that nobody's enlightened until everyone's enlightened mm-hmm. um, which stands to reason when you talk about different philosophies and understandings of suffering and empathy and moving forward sort of together as a group then yes you do lend a hand 
because you're lending a hand to yourself essentially Mm -hmm. there is that interconnection what um what first had you painting people doing yoga like where was the first opportunity that you got for that The first opportunity was when I uh, when I painted live at Ali Maz's um, Yoga Eat Repeat mm-hmm. at Nelson the Seagull, and I I, da- I can't quite remember how the idea came about, but I know it was my idea. It kind of came to me. Oh, I ha- actually know I'd seen a psychic, and she kind of pushed me. Um, towards um your artwork will kind of lend its hand to events and spirituality and i was like i don't know what you're talking about um but then um i had attended a few of those of ali's classes Mm -hmm. at the yoga eat repeat events and um i was like oh i wonder if she would let me and i was dying to paint people because i was painting out of you know my little studio at home and i was dying to paint real people i was like oh i should just paint a yoga class and Allie's doing a yoga class, so I asked her, and and it worked out really well. And it was challenging and frightening and terrifying because it's really putting my my skills to test in terms of outcome. But when I let go of the outcome and I just was there and let it be and just was drawing lines and representations, it just it it is what it is, and 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 uh, it did connect with people there. People were sort of amazed at how quick I could paint. Um, but really I was just having fun. Right. <laughs> yeah. What I'm drawn to about your paintings is the use of color. The use of color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. What inspires you to use such sort of bright, almost neon colors? Um, I, I mean, my relationship with color is, is an ongoing, um, practice watercolor is not very forgiving so um, you kind of start to learn how one color complements the other and helps the other ones behind them pop and I have an understanding of just from going to art school um, shadows and um, you know how to make something look perspective so how to make something look like it's popping out or sitting back Mm -hmm. but those relationships are like an ongoing observation the colors, I think they just come to me, really. Um, yeah, I also, I mean, my relationship with color also flows into the work that I do in terms of um, energy work and understanding the chakras and um, and how each chakra is represented by a color and how you can read um, how one color can represent love or grounding or... Um, a higher thinking and and so the subtle sort of um, intuitive representation of color it kind of is it's a constant learning so is that kind of more passive the decision making like with knowledge over what chakras are connected to what colors when I'm doing yeah when I'm painting yeah when I paint I just kind of, I don't I try not to think very much when I paint um, because I like the painting being something that just comes out of me mm-hmm. and it's just I feel like doing this right now and then I do it sometimes when I try too hard it doesn't work or it doesn't look very nice but when I just kind of let the paintbrush do what it wants and pick the colors it wants and practice that being so in touch with the moment because what that practice has a lot to do with not thinking ahead right so just literally being with the brush tapping into the color and then tapping back into the page is being ultimately present in those moments of doing so it's again going back to really slowing down not slowing down time but really being mega present Mm -hmm. in terms of those actions so you said coming out of you, like you like when the art comes out of you. Do you, are you the source of the art? Like, is it somewhere inside of you, or is it something that comes through you? Mm, I think it's something that builds 
from another place. So it's something that... Um, like this is when a child asks you, like, where do ideas come from? <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, it's I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's kind of like when you're sitting in... Not that this has happened to me, but people have talked about when you're sitting in meditation, all of a sudden you get a message from God or a message from spirit or whoever speaks to you. It's, maybe it's the same, kind of the same, but for me, it's more of a buildup. So it's something that is building inside of me. And then all I can do is paint, you know, it's like, I got to get it out of me right now. You know, like I just get to the point where it's like, I got to get to the studio and paint this out because it's been building and I haven't spent the time to go and practice and do this. And so then that's what it feels like to me. And, and when I'm doing it at events, it's coming straight through. Mm -hmm. There's no thought process. I don't have a, I don't have any time to think. It's it's literally I'm painting people moving. So it's it's all intuition. It's all just like flowing through me, just moving and doing. Yeah. So I guess it's a collaboration of the both. Mm -hmm. No, I always think that's interesting. Sort of where people's inspiration comes from or where they more where the perception of inspiration mm -hmm. comes from mm -hmm. yeah because like if i'm leading a yoga class for example oftentimes i'll go in with maybe like the very rough framework of a plan and more times than not i don't end up actually following that plan through <laughs> um because of the people that I'm sharing the space with, the people in the room. Right. I'm trying as best as I can to sort of watch how they're interpreting what I'm saying. Right. How attuned to the things that I'm asking of the room, like how attuned are the actual actions that are happening in the room. Mm -hmm. um, does it feel as though there's a delay when I'm talking? Um, there's hesitation uh, in the room. If you start to all of these factors will kind of pile up and the, the course of which I've set initially when I walked into the room will change kind of drastically. Hmm. So for me, I think there's like, there's a certain issue of, um, you can plan and you can have, you can go to the easel and you can have sort of the idea of this great painting, but then when certain colors fall or absorbed a different way, all of a sudden you come out with something sort of drastically different. Mm -hmm. um, when I walk into the room with an idea to teach a certain posture, more times than not, I don't get to that pose. Because hmm. you just end up going a different direction with people. Yeah, that's you being in the moment. Yeah, and then there's other times where like a class is planned exquisitely, and it just goes exactly to plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the timing for the class is great, and the playlist worked perfect, or whatever it <laughs> that is, <timing>. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, recently I painted um, uh, a larger canvas. So usually I do watercolor and I do I play with pe pencil crayon, but but I do also like to paint with oils or um, acrylics. And I painted a really big canvas. Um, and so first I was like, I don't know what I'm doing with this, but I'm just gonna paint it pink. And so I painted it pink, and then I drew a big circle in it, and I've. I have painted a lot of moons in the past, but I painted a circle and ran out of the pink <laughs> that I had painted in the background. So naturally the circle sort of became this off tone of the pink in the background. So then it came, became a moon. And then it sat there in my studio um, for probably about a week and I stared at it and I wondered if it was just gonna stay that way. Um, but then I got an opportunity to have a few of my paintings down at the Lower Lonsdale Moksha. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, it'd be really cool to have something big because, you know, my illustrations are you know, a little bit smaller. I'm like, okay, I want to do something big for this. And it, and it just sort of one day, I was like, okay, I'm just going to paint this pose that I've painted before. And she changed colors um, probably 20 times. So I would just sit there and add and layer and add and layer and, and first she had short hair and then it turned into long hair and then it turned into blue hair and then pink hair and and she just kind of I let her evolve in time instead of 
overly planning. Mm -hmm. So, and that's how I like to paint. And usually the outcome looks better from the, you know, in terms of like the outcome of the paintings, they, they come out a bit more expressive and there's a little bit more magic in them just from being in planning a little bit, but just also letting the painting become whatever it needs to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Outside of yoga, what other things do you paint? Um, well, it's yoga, but it's also um, figure work. So it's usually um, women. Um, I've painted, I have a little bit of a, I have painted mountains and water and stuff. And, um, I also do intuitive portraits which is a way of me practicing the energy work that I've studied and um, which has helped me sort of read and, and place myself in a room because I'm a sensitive human and an artist. I've always felt a little bit uncomfortable around a large group of people and studying energy work has really let me acknowledge that um, whose energy is mine and whose of others. And once I started understanding my own, I was able to understand other people's energy. And um, when I started my painting practice, um, the energy work sort of connected by offering portraits that were a reflection of how I understood your energy, for example. So I would, I, so again, practicing art as an intuition and speaking to someone while painting and just interpreting their body um, through a portrait and drawing their their face and their shoulders and their you know neck um, and letting the messages come through that way and then understanding how I read their body as a way of I don't know exploring that intuition again and the body work and the subtlety of of art being a representation of time really when I was in um, university I studied a lot of artists that dealt with things like entropy or built time a way of viewing time sort of time's arrow in the artwork like I studied a lot of Robert Smithson Mm -hmm. and he did a lot of land-based art where it would be like you would build something sort of with the intention of watching this road. Mm-hmm. Probably his most famous artwork is this uh, project he did in Utah somewhere called Spiral Jetty. So they brought a bunch of dump trucks into um, a lake, a lake that was quite neat because it um, had all this different colored algae in it. So it made the water different colors. Mm-hmm. And the dump trucks just put earth out into the water and it made a jetty but the jetty was in a spiral on purpose they made a spiral on purpose Uh yeah like just kept bringing out dump truck after dump truck and Mm -hmm. built this um and then it was interesting because when i was in university it had been covered for years but then um the way that things sort of happen uh it was uncovered again like the water level rose Mm. and then it went to a depth where you could start to people could take pilgrimages to go out and see sort of this project once again which they thought had been lost like they thought that essentially it's just it was gone yeah but it was still there mm-hmm. um, but I definitely had a fascination with time and maybe more specifically entropy and sort of this inevitable process of everything moves from a state of order to decay. Mm-hmm. So, to me, I think it's interesting this idea of trying to catalog or to capture a moment. And then, inevitably, you make this artwork that is indicative of a moment, but the artwork that you're making of itself is ephemeral, maybe not as ephemeral as the moment itself was but eventually the artwork will be no more so it's kind of this beautiful but futile exercise 
in nostalgia. Mm-hmm. You know, as most things that we do inevitably become. Mm-hmm. This yoga practice, for example, I talk about this often. We strive to put these certain postures into our body knowing that inevitably, like as soon as you master that pose, if you ever get to that point before entropy takes your body to a place where you no longer have the function, you might be able to explore the posture for a couple practices, for a couple of years, for however long, but eventually if you live long enough in that body, you're going to lose that pose again. Mm-hmm. So what I realized about the yoga practice, and I've said this before on the podcast, but it can't be about, it can't be a process of collecting more and more. Mm-hmm. It has to be a process of shedding. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can become so efficient in your body that you can all of a sudden stand on your hands. But hopefully there's something in that process that is more than just coveting a certain result mm-hmm. or a destination, knowing that like, yeah, eventually everything you got from this yoga practice physically is going to erode on you. Yeah, well, you could, you could say that you come to the end, but that therefore starts a new beginning, mm-hmm. right? So the outcome of something may get you somewhere, but it doesn't mean that it just ends there. Hopefully, and... And what I think life is about is this journey that you're you're constantly learning and growing and searching and then get you somewhere. And if something is then accomplished or ends or fails or diminishes, something else comes from it. Mm-hmm. I think. Or at least that's what I believe. It's never just ending. It's always beginning right well yeah no that's the idea of like once something is sort of created Mm -hmm. it's on the pro like one that's the journey yeah Mm -hmm. so once something has sort of reached its peak Mm -hmm. and then entropy kicks in Mm -hmm. but that's not to say that like you know if you take boulders and allow entropy to take its course and you end up with a bunch of sand that's not that you couldn't create something with sand Hmm. Mm -hmm. but once that project or once that creation of sand has been made then it inevitably turns to dust I guess I guess right or it shows up again years later and then the (laughs) dust turns into yeah Exactly, like a spiral <laughs> jetty. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's interesting. Smithson was an interesting artist. He um, is all environmental. Um, for the most part, it was all natural that he did. There were some works, like he did a thing called glue pour, um, and that was made of glue. Okay. <laughs> um, but it was like over dirt. I believe glue pour was actually um, somewhere in UBC that he did it and he wasn't from around here yeah it's just an interesting thing but for the most part his works are all natural in as much as picking up earth in a dump truck and putting it somewhere else is natural right but it was basically like putting these things together and then allowing them to turn into different to things to do something with themselves yeah let nature take its course yeah yeah, yeah. sort of time's arrow that we talk about right. but he was an interesting guy because his uh, he is sort of in conversation with a lot of very great academic minds Mm -hmm. even though he himself um, academically did not go very far Mm -hmm. which I always thought was kind of cool like seeing that this guy managed to make it um, to a certain place in a style of art in a discourse in a conversation of a certain style of art without the formal education that a lot of his contemporaries had Mm mm-hmm um, mm-hmm. Not that he wasn't educated at all, like, but he he would write academic papers and that sort of thing without actually being completely in that world. The interesting thing about artists is that 
died pretty young too. Died in a plane crash. Oh really? Yeah. Oh well. Um, a lot of artists take the time to reflect and think and strategize and um, you know come up with ideas and where they came from and that in itself that exploration is beyond schooling sometimes mm -hmm. the, the ones that really tap into what is the meaning of whatever they're up to um, yeah a lot of artists I've been talking to recently have great ideas and have you know are exploring things not in a school con context or you know this or wanting an outcome that some people are spending days on days on doing it in school and reading on mm -hmm. but instead living the life and, and exploring it through people and the accessibility that they have just by thinking and finding information on their own um, so I love that that some artists without formal education can get to the point or even acknowledged as these like you know higher people of smart people I guess yeah. um, but it is because I think a lot of artists reflect and think and do the work it's just not school work it's a different kind of work yeah and I think that it's always like um, there's only a certain amount of spaces in anything Mm -hmm. So the idea of like, well, I want to put on an art show at this gallery. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, great. Every other artist does too. Mm -hmm. So you find other places where you can display your work or create your work. and um, You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be sort of the tried and true. Like, I went to art school, I got my master's in this, um, and now I'm doing my thesis work in this and I'm displaying it at this studio or this um, gallery that everyone knows the name of mm -hmm. um, of course there's going to be more people that are just like well how do I do the thing that I'm interested in and put it out there uh, maybe through social media now mm -hmm. right like you were talking about all your photographs and your Instagram all the work of your that you're able to display through Instagram in a way that 10, 15, 20 years ago, how would so many people be able to view your paintings? Mm -hmm. You know, like the likelihood of getting put in a gallery or getting displayed or having the right art critic be like, put you in a published uh, magazine or journal so that people can see what your artwork is. But now there's an opportunity for mostly anybody to open an Instagram account. And if you're lucky enough to have a phone or a way of displaying then you have access to an infinite amount of people that also have access to Instagram or Facebook or Twitter mm -hmm. um, the question then becomes like well now it's become so commonplace and everybody has a voice on social media so how do you stand out above the other artists that are doing amazing work that are not being showed in a gallery but are doing the same type of hustle of like you know putting my own artwork out there on the internet for people to see I've got a website I've got an Instagram account like how do you stand out I don't know I mean um, I don't have the answers um, but all I can follow is the fact that I love connecting with people I the one thing that I know for sure about myself is that I do really well one-on-one -on -one with people and that's where I truly connect with someone if you put me in a, at a dinner table with you know even three strangers I usually just sit back and, and have a hard time connecting what is your part in that long table dinner The dinner I put on in the summer. You organized that, right? Yeah, yeah. Dinner on the pier. Yeah. Yeah, I organized that. And it's I, a long table dinner. Long table dinner, 300 people. Um, there's actually a funny photo of me from last year. Um, the photographer caught me sitting, eating, and there. <laughs> it was kind of in the middle of the dinner, and people had started getting up, and mm. I'm there's no one sitting around me in the photo. So the joke is that at a dinner of 300 people that I put on, I'm still eating alone. 
Um, yeah, I'm a behind the scenes person, either behind the scenes or one on one. I do really well connecting with people one on one or in a very small, intimate group. And that's where I feel powerful. Instagram is just sort of it leverages me in terms of connecting with more people and, mm -hmm. and getting the word out and getting uh, people to follow what I'm up to. But ultimately, the ones who meet me and I have a connection with are usually the ones that love my work the most because they understand that it's an, an extension of me um, and it is very authentic and is a, is, is a true expression. Um, so I think in, on the online world is, is, is a different part of it. It's a, you know, eventually when I want to make more money to sustain myself through my artwork, I'll have to think more strategically and less intuitively about artwork. Um, but the artwork connects um, with the viewers, usually the ones that, the, that I've met in person mm -hmm. the most. And the ones that I haven't met in person, um, it's because they get it. Right? They somehow connect with the art. And often people message me and ask me or tell me, and, and I have a little mini conversation in the DMs. Um, but yeah, connecting in person or connecting, you know, in a phone call or in an email or text message is more valuable and more important to me than having followers that are a bunch of strangers. Why do you have the freedom right now to be more intuitive? Um, and as far as your business side of things do you have a day job Be because I've given myself that time so I I do things to maintain myself I uh, work for other artists or I freelance a little bit of in with my graphic design skills or I sell the work that I I'm willing to part with um, and I think uh, the strategic side of me will eventually, you know, make prints or I made a calendar last, uh, you know, that I was selling in December for the 2018 period. Um, so making money uh, is a part of being an artist and an entrepreneur. Um, but I'm definitely focusing on the intuitive side of it because that is the calling that I'm hearing. And the art and the yoga and the wellness and the spirituality is starting to feel connected for me when I focus on the art and connecting the intuition and art and expression and slowing down that it's really starting to feel aligned mm -hmm. when I pay when I when I pay attention to that so I'm focusing on that because I'm giving myself the permission to. And I do the other things to keep me alive and to pay the bills and, you know, drive my car and put gas in there and, and eat. Uh, but uh, the wealth comes in different forms. It comes in money and it flows it up and down with money, but it also comes with greater connections, greater opportunities, bigger projects, people who want to collaborate and, and explore ideas and focus on their intuition and um, so the wealth is showing up in the people that are showing up and eventually, you know, the money will just keep flowing in. But for now, it's it's just in major gratitude in terms of the alignment that I'm starting to feel mm -hmm. from focusing on what's the artwork being the calling of connecting all the dots. So it is a it's an active decision and feeling to give myself the space to explore with art. I think that's a struggle that I have, like the ability to make money in the yoga world. Mm -hmm. I think that it could be a very common struggle that a painter might find themselves in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But also, the projects that I'm working on, I wouldn't have... They wouldn't be showing up if I wasn't doing this work. You know, people are asking me to collaborate and it's because they know that this is what I'm focusing on. Right. So following that calling will get me, will keep me afloat. It will keep me sustainable and the money will show up and, and not that it will be easy at times. I'm sure it'll be hard and I'll have to pick up, do the things, you know, to get the money in faster or... Um, I mean, graphic design pays well, so when I need a bit more 
money, I look for a little bit more graphic design work, but only when I really need it, not because, um, you know, just setting that aside as something that I just need to do to keep myself going and focusing my heart mm-hmm. in the other stuff. Um, so the calling, I'm just following the calling. I'm following the bigger picture and, and uh, the idea of whatever I'm here to do on earth is really to to experience people and to share experiences and to grow with everyone around me and and uh the wealth doesn't always need to be in the money it it shows up in all different forms but i know that being sustainable in vancouver is is real Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah but i don't like to use the word struggle okay because it's not a struggle. It's, I'm enjoying it. There's the enjoyment of it is so much greater than the struggle of it. So the worry and, and it's, it's not to be um, unreasonable or, um, or ignore the fact that there's reality side to, to life, but focusing on the balance of it helps me stay positive and enjoy the things that show up instead of be, it being a struggle it's just it is what it is and it's the work the the sustainability of living in vancouver is the work that just needs to be or the energy that needs to be put there can't you enjoy struggle though yeah you can enjoy struggle i mean i think it's it's a very common thing when people are successful later in their life they look back at the the struggle as being kind of the highlight of Uh their life yeah I mean um the struggles that I've gone through the hard work that I've put into my life have placed me here today and has like for example dinner on the pier was the first year was a grassroots idea where the first year started with 150 guests. And that was a huge struggle. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, a month and a half of planning and busting my butt to sell 150 tickets. Yeah. Um, And the struggle, I guess, if you want to call it struggle, changed the next year in a different forms when we doubled the event in size. Um, but I don't know, I guess the word feels like I'm drowning. Struggle feels like a drown. I think for me, it's more just doing the work and working really hard and not it being drowning in the work, but more just moving my feet faster or using my brain a little bit harder instead of it feeling like a drowning the word just feels like I'm drowning in it. How do you sell 300 tickets? <laughs> Connection. You connect with people. The idea at dinner on the pier is um, 300 person dinner in Laura Lonsdale, driven by community and the values of North Van, which means North Vancouver represents friendliness, businesses that are built off of really good people who have worked really hard to open their stores in North Van. And um, the dinners represent is a representation of those people. We collaborate with over fifteen to twenty vendors, um, and uh, and in that collaboration, you make a lot of connections. And when people know the root of the event, the connection just grows, okay. and the word grows, and the and the feeling that you get at an event is invisible right you experience something dinner on a pier but the magic that is created in a a night it's not something that i can measure it's only something that i can prepare for and when it's based off of a value of community and and connection selling up 300 tickets is is by people seeing that and understanding where it comes from and wanting to experience that magic and their friend telling you about it. And What's the process? Like, do you go store to store and tell them about the event and get them on board? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We co- we we look at the, the businesses um, 
Fra- um, Frankie and Co. It's a party store down in Lower Lonsdale. They opened up and we we're like, what can you guys do? You guys are a really cute store owned by two really wonderful women. Um, you know, they're, they opened up a party store. What do you want to do with this? And they're like, well, we do balloons. Great. Mm-hmm. Give me some balloons. Like, what, what, what do you got? Um, so giving them the creative liberty to showcase their skills, their creativity, their talents. Um, so yeah, it is about knocking on the doors and asking like, what do you got? Do you want to use our event to market it and, um, and just use the platform to, to do something really cool? Were you part of a team for this or was it your idea? Dinner on the pier was, um... It was an idea that I had, and then I spoke with Alex Troll, who's my partner in the event. Uh, she owns the Juicery Co. And um, I was like, oh, you know, like I was thinking, we have this beautiful pier, we should put a long table dinner. And she was like, I was thinking the same thing. So that was, you know, the universe connecting us. And um, she's like, do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, I do. I was freelancing graphic design at the time, and I was like, yeah, passion project. Let's go, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how it happened. So the two of us do it every year. It's a two-man team. We have a handful of volunteers that show up every year, that come and and help us here and there. But ultimately, it's it's us working with every business, and the relationships that we've formed over the years, to try to make that happen. This is our fourth year this year, 2018 August. And is it staying at 300? It's staying at 300 for now. Yeah. It's still work. I bet. <laughs> it's not struggle, but it's work. So once we feel that the 300 feels like well-oiled machine, we may increase the size. But also 300 people increasing the size of um, guests will change the energy of the room, right? It will change the energy of the dinner. So it's really just taking all those things into consideration the experience is important to us more than the volume of it so who does the catering for that uh chef joel green from the pinnacle down at the the hotel down there uh an amazing chef uh loves the event he's that makes sense because they can do like big weddings and everything there so they have the facilities absolutely yeah 300 people and a wonderful staff yeah they're the kitchen staff at the pinnacle are wonderful wonderful people and they love the event and um and joel is creative every single year he does he comes up with awesome ideas and he loves the event so he's in our last three years and i don't know what will happen this summer but if they're on board he'll be doing again this summer it makes sense to do it at such a large scale just sort of putting my business cap on because i've tried to do yoga and breakfast events Mm -hmm. and i did them uh, with todd in a way i don't know if you know todd at all no. We used to have a yoga studio in North Bend called Yoga Pod. Oh, yeah. I love Yoga Pod. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Todd, uh, Todd and Lori, in a way. Um, but we ran some yoga and breakfast class. We called them like forest yoga jams or something because they were in Lynn Canyon. But we had to use this. Well, we got to use the space in Lynn Canyon. They've got a neat little restaurant. But we had to use them as the caterers for the breakfast. Mm hmm. And I remember, like, after we sold out all, I think we did six events, we sold them all out. Mm -hmm. And at the end, there were, like, tens of dollars to spread around to us because it all went to the food Mm -hmm. after. Yeah. And we just did this great thing for them because they weren't even going to be open at that time and they got to make all this money from our event. Right. Um, But I kind of real like, that was a lesson for me (laughs) in my first sort of workshop slash event that I tried to be part of mm-hmm. um, is realizing like, oh, the cost of these things is important. Yeah. The cost of dinner on the pier depend is, is the tickets are expensive. They're not cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, our most expensive ticket last year was $175. Um, and that includes 
booze and the pre-party and the music and the cocktails and life preserver (laughs) exactly no jumping off the pier please um um but yeah we don't make a ton of money off the event um i think the investment of the event is for the culture and the community of north van yeah um ultimately we'll have um enough sponsorship and belief in the city that the event pays for itself Um, but again, increasing the numbers would make us more money, but it will change, it'll change the magic. Yeah. So it's just really trying to assess that out and seeing if it's worth it because you don't want to lose the integrity and the, the vibrancy that shows up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I believe it just from my experience of running events and also I, just couldn't imagine selling 300 tickets at <laughs> the prices. It's a hustle. It is. But it's the best. Yeah. It's so it's so fun. It's 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 an investment. The dinner is an investment, but it's an experience that is really special. And we put a lot of work to make it really special for every single person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they don't, dinner on the period, they don't know that it's put on by a couple of, like, witches from North Van, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, like, yogis. for me, for me, doing the events with yoga, like, it's hard because so many people that you're trying to offer this experience to, should I say, instead of sell tickets to, um, is they're already, they've purchased a pass at a yoga studio, and that's probably why you have a relationship with this person. So they've already budgeted their yoga allowance to go to a studio for mm-hmm. any, whatever, a studio pass costs, like mm-hmm. 90 to $140, depending where you're practicing, I mm-hmm. assume. Um, so like, to be like, and then $20 on the weekend to come and take a class with the teacher you practice with every week mm-hmm. anyways mm-hmm. a couple times on the schedule for the place you have it and then to put in like some powdered eggs <laughs> on top of that <laughs> the food was not great at the event so oh, we did no. thinking back to those ones but yeah. you know you try and make whatever you're offering or your event is special but at the same time um, I feel that with a long table dinner people will be willing to put a little bit more into a ticket than they are with a yoga class because they already have this idea of a yoga experience and they know that this teacher isn't coming from out of town it's Mm -hmm. the person same same guy from tuesday same guy from tuesday (laughs) yeah so i just always feel like i've pushed into workshops and different events but it's just it is i'm going to use the s word it's a struggle Mm. because it's to strike up conversations with the intention of like I want to sell this person a ticket to my event at the end of this conversation Mm -hmm. feels so strange to me that I'm kind of horrible at it Mm. because I don't I feel guilty if it's like well I wasn't I wouldn't reach out to this person otherwise otherwise not that I have an issue with this person or I don't like this person it's just on my Tuesday afternoon I probably wouldn't have sent this person a message right yeah, but also have faith that whatever you are sharing uh, brings value and put the work in for that value. Yeah, but I'm just, you know, I've always, because I've always believed in what I do. Like, I believe that the teacher trainings I put on are, like, really high-level teacher trainings. I believe the workshops that I've done are high-level workshops. Um, the conversations for people listening to this, they know, like, the conversations that we have in the live podcast are always super... Um, deep and mm. of value mm-hmm. but it's still like getting that I remember as a Lululemon ambassador Lululemon sent me to Landmark and I couldn't believe how hard people would sell Landmark mm-hmm. and just to me I thought like even if I had um, like the secret to life I'm not sure that I would push it on people Mm. as Mm -hmm. intently as the volunteers at Landmark are trying to get people to sign up for the next course or they're trying to get your partner to sign up for the initial course and they're Mm -hmm. just they've been taught how to sell 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 Mm -hmm. and I'm sure at some place they really do believe in the value of the product Mm -hmm. but still like even if it was a life-saving thing and somebody's like no I'm good I'm like okay (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, selling is, um, it's an art. Some people have it. I'm not an amazing seller. Um, but I do think the future in terms of yoga is um, being in touch with what you have to offer and also um, thinking a little bit ahead. And, and, you know, everyone does yoga and eventually people are going to be wanting a little bit more than yoga, you know, and, and, and they're going to want to like start exploring that journey into enlightenment and, and creating those conversations and those live podcasts that start to hint those ideas is a bit ahead of the curve, which is a good thing. Hmm. It's not a bad thing. Um, so that resistance or that struggle that you're feeling might just be a little push in order to go further or to give up or whatever you want to do with it. <laughs> I was looking recently, like on iTunes, looking at all the Apple podcasts that are yoga related. Yeah. And I started this because there wasn't any. Yeah. Like I couldn't find any. And now there's so many. Yeah. You're like the OG. I don't know if yoga that's... <laughs> I just saw like, maybe I could do what Joe Rogan's doing in like a smaller... <laughs> Sort of within a smaller community of Vancouver yoga. Yeah, it's well, you are just... onto something. I mean, Vancouver is filled with yogis, mm-hmm. but everyone has their own perspective and comes from a different place. So I think it's interesting and I, don't, I think it's worth exploring. Mm-hmm. And I like following along. Do you have ghost stories? Did we talk about this last time? Ghost stories? Yeah. No. You don't have any? Oh. Um, no. Why? Do you? That's a face like you do. (laughs) I do, but I've told them probably 20 times to inspire people to tell their story. Ah, okay. So people are probably tired of it, but yeah, I've got two ghost stories. No, I've never had any sort of ghost, ghostly things, Mm -hmm. but I've had, um, (laughs) I've had coincidences happen and, and I love searching for those or being aware of those so um i mean yeah my coincidence so one of the most like really strong coincidence was i was speaking with someone and they were kind of telling me their hardship um in the their family and things that had gone on in their past and family dynamics and people had passed on and this person was an you know an uncle who was really mean and um, who had pat you know just stories around the history of their life and um, it was probably a half an hour 40 minute conversation and then when we finished the conversation they looked at their email or their messages or something and a long lost relative messaged them mm-hmm. during this conversation someone that they hadn't spoken to in 20 years so that was a I was like well you know, someone was listening. Right. That's like a bizarro coincidence. So things like that has ha- have happened to me. Yeah. I, re- I remember there was like a... I had been through... Like I dated somebody for a bunch of years. And then we broke up. And I could remember like there would be times... We were in the same university. Um, and there would be times where like I would look at a door and know that person was coming. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a coincidence like that that happen in life that make you think, like, oh, there's something more. To, like, what are the odds of that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or actually, just this weekend at um, the yoga retreat, where so I was at the philosophy yoga retreat with Ashley, and, and um, we haven't really... I was leading an art component to the, at the retreat, and we hadn't really talked about what I was going to do or um, really anything leading up to it. She just, we had dates planned and, and okay, you do your thing and I'll do mine. And we sat down on the first day of the retreat and she was giving her introduction and, and what the weekend was about and how yoga is about really slowing down and connecting and the theme will be about connection and, and the words that were coming out of her mouth were, it was like she was reading my mind. Mm. It was the same type of preparation that I had done with the artwork workshop that I was gonna lead. And she was using the same words. It was almost like I could have said it for her. Mm. Um, and that alignment and that 
coincidence or whatever you want to call it are the things that I'm just tending to they're the one those are the signs that that are letting me know that I'm on a path Mm -hmm. and that there is something more to life than just the physical there's this thing that we are all one and there's little messages here and there that you just got to start opening your eyes to and they start to show up so yeah coincidences are my jam because when they show up, I get super nerdy and excited about it. Because I'm like, ah, there's another one. Or, yeah, I love them. Do you get into things like probability things where you, like, for example, the likelihood of somebody ever shuffling a deck of cards the same way twice is, like, almost an impossibility? Yeah. That, like, when you shuffle a card, deck of cards, there's... Like no way that anybody in the history of time and the history of playing cards has ever shuffled it the same way. Mm-hmm. I just think stuff like that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, and then it's fun when you pick the same card twice in a row yeah. after shuffling them. That's why I love coincidences because <laughs> they're little like gateways of magic or messages that are too bizarro to think nothing of. Okay, well, if you don't have a good ghost story, I guess we're done. what do you have coming up um in life um i have a few workshops that i'm probably going to launch in the next few days that will be a practice of connecting intuition and art similar to the portraits but um guiding people to do it themselves and really reading their own bodies and opening their eyes to the funny little coincidences in life because that's what the work does. It just starts to clear the fog and opens our eyes and allows all the good stuff to show up. Okay. Yeah, cool, man. Yeah, cool, man. (laughs) You good with that? Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And uh, I'll be back next week with a different conversation pertaining around yoga and just lifestyle generally. Until then, get ganked, get unganked, whatever you need to do, but don't text and drive. Skibbity bop, Kemp Run Podcast.